Our first Bible reading today, today comes from Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonour the name of my God. And our second Bible reading today comes from the book of Luke, and it's chapter 12, verses 22 to 34. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than the birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labour or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near, and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, if we haven't met, my name's Matt, and my role uh, sees me sharing my time between uh, here and Kernelite Gardens. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to, in term three, being with you uh, pretty much every week uh, as we look through a new series in the book of Isaiah. And I was always, there's been lots of people who've jumped in to help things uh, get underway uh, this week with the combined effect of people being on holidays, quite a number of people going down with COVID and the flu as well. So it's really encouraging to see uh, so many people uh, just jumping in uh, to help things happen. I kind of knew the week was going to go badly when uh, on Tuesday after uh, Kelly Hobbs, um, who's here, uh, looks after uh, our music team, she was uh, diagnosed with COVID and she was kind of like, I hope I haven't given it to the whole staff team. And Cam said, don't worry, Kelly, this would be the best week of the entire year for me to get COVID. And sure enough, 48 hours later, uh, Cam was uh, diagnosed with COVID. So on the staff team of uh, seven of us who work uh, across here in uh, Colonel Light Gardens, uh, Joe and I are the last two people who haven't got COVID yet, so we're, we're holding out for the title of last person on the staff team to get COVID, and I did see Joe sneaking out for a fourth vaccination on Friday to try and uh, win uh, that battle. 
Well, as Joe said, uh, we are doing a, a, a series which will be new to you, uh, which we call uh, Gospel Thought, and we do one or two of these sermons a year, and the idea is that we take a break from our regular diet of uh, teaching through books of the Bible uh, to help us as Christians think through a number of different uh, topics. So we've already done uh, three entries into the series at Kernelite Gardens, which if you're interested, you could go to their website and have a look at. We've done one on depression and anxiety, uh, one on transgenderism, one on politics. And today, uh, we've chosen to look at the topic of wealth. Now, we put together our preaching program in the year before, uh, so we didn't really know just how pertinent it would be uh, to come to a topic like today uh, with so many concerned about the rising cost of living, interest rates on the way up. But before we get into it, uh, I'd like to frame this whole discussion a little more widely in some of the societal changes uh, in our world as we think about the role of Christians and uh, God's place for the church in our world today. I was listening to a social commentator on a podcast a few weeks back who was trying to describe some of the broader changes in recent decades who made uh, a number of observations about the West. Now, these were generalisations, which, of course, always have some exceptions. But he made the observation that something started changing about our aspirations in the West around about the 1960s. He said, generally speaking, up until about that point, uh, most in the West were aspiring to be more like someone else they knew of in the community as part of finding their place in the wider society. Um, so whether you aspired to be a lawyer, a tradesperson, or as people then uh, did back then, a bank manager, um, kind of funny for me being uh, corporate finance being my background, but you, the idea was that you modelled yourself on someone respected and over the many years did the hard work of learning from them. And your goal uh, in doing so was to find your place in the world and serve a wider purpose in a more community-minded way. Now, it's not like that suddenly changed in the 60s, but he sort of said things started to change, and I think we can see them that change accelerating until this day, where we certainly now live in a very different world where we elevate uh, the sort of idea of self. And the goal moved from modelling ourselves uh, on someone else that we looked up to in the world, uh, someone of an older generation, uh, to now where the goal has to become more authentically me, to find jobs and platforms for me to live my very best life. Uh, the payoff now can't be years and decades ahead, it needs to be much more immediate. And people now want not a, a broad sort of mix uh, of uh, people and community to do life with, people are now much more looking for a community of a circle of like-minded people that embrace kind of me being me. Few institutions exist now that are based on the kind of older way of doing things, on the long-term kind of hard work of denying self and embracing sort of a more corporate whole. And I think the military is perhaps uh, the most obvious one left. Yet I mention it today as I want to put it to you as a church, and this being a fairly new church, 
that we should be more like the pre-1960s way uh, of doing things, uh, where we sort of uh, come along and, and deny sort of ourselves as Christians to embrace the corporate whole. So are we looking to conform ourselves to someone else's image? Well, of course, the answer is yes. Uh, we're looking to become more and more like Jesus uh, through the ministry of word and prayer and one another. Uh, and our goals are corporate, uh, where we're seeking to find our place in a bigger community in a church like this as we serve the wider community. The Bible um, talks of us not really uh, as individuals, but encourages us today as Christians, if uh, you consider yourself one today, to think of ourselves corporately as part of the body of Christ with a particular function, serving the whole with Jesus as the head. We are corporately together on mission to share the great news of Jesus with our world for whom heaven and hell hang in the balance. And I mention this all today in a sermon on wealth because how we feel about and treat our wealth, I think, gives us one of the clearest and most powerful insights into what really drives us as people. It really exposes, are we still really just about us? Do we like to have an attachment to God and to come along to church and be told we're saved by grace once in a while? Or are we people who hunger and thirst for the kingdom of God, who long to see others find salvation in Jesus and to play our part corporately together as Jesus builds his church here on earth, as we, are, as we deny self and conform ourselves to Jesus' image. With our wealth, then, are we people who want a minimalist giving bar to jump over so we can get back to living for ourselves? Or are we prepared to do the hard work over time of cultivating a heart attitude of generosity, conforming ourselves to Jesus' teaching over time? So with that question hanging in the air, let's look at God's Word together as we consider the Christian view of our wealth. If you're here today checking out who Jesus is, I hope you find this an interesting insight into how Jesus changes hearts and that you see something deeply attractive and radically different in uh, the way Jesus calls us to live. As we, as people who follow Christ, live our whole lives around responding to God's grace and kindness shown to us across all of time. Uh, you'll see an outline of where we're going in the leaflet, and I believe today is the debut of uh, the new Trinity Church Tonsley SMS line, so particularly on topical sermons, uh, people have lots of questions, and you'll see uh, both up on screen and on the leaflet there a number that you can text, and that's uh, anonymous, we don't store numbers in that phone, so you can blaze away with the real questions on your heart as we go through uh, today's sermon. And there's also an outline uh, in your leaflet there as well. Um, the first Bible reading we looked at today was Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9, which, by the way, fun fact for Proverbs fans, is probably one of the only couple of verses in Proverbs 
that you could class as a prayer, as the author asks God, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. And very succinctly, I think it summarizes the Bible's teaching on wealth that there are dangers involved in being too wealthy or too poor. And as Jesus, God's wisdom made flesh, weaves this particular proverb into what we know as the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread. Which is a very real prayer of dependence across our world and across time for the world's poor. That we, the world's rich on any kind of meaningful metric, find harder to connect with at a heart level. Uh, Cam put me on to perhaps the most comprehensive overview of the Bible's teaching on wealth and possessions, uh, which has chosen neither poverty nor riches as its title. It's from Craig Blomberg and we'll pop it up on screen uh, there. It's comprehensive, read long, uh, when I say that. But based on a skim read and an intense look at the, at the start and finish of it, it is excellent. And I made a note of it in your outline for those who want to reflect more deeply on the Bible's teaching on wealth. Yet it's one of those rare books where the title itself sums up pretty much neatly uh, all that it's seeking to convey, that neither poverty nor riches is what God's people should desire. Now, to summarise the book briefly, uh, the Bible teaches us that material possessions are a good gift from God meant for His people to enjoy. Yet at the same time, the abundance of material possessions is one of the primary drivers in turning our hearts away from God. The Bible's teaching about possessions is always also intertwined with spiritual matters. So there's a link between how we feel about our wealth and our godliness. And the one quote I'll make from the book, uh, I'll use from the book, is uh, on this point, on screen, you'll see there where um, Blomberg summarises, he says, no ungodly poor people are ever exalted as models for emulation. And no godly rich people who are generous and compassionate in the use of their wealth are ever condemned. But in a remarkable number of instances throughout history, poverty and piety have been found hand in hand, as have wealth and godlessness. There's no inherent connection between the items in either pair, just recurring trends. Which I think is an observation worth taking to heart. Another point Blomberg makes uh, well from the Bible is that there are certain extremes of wealth and poverty which are in and of themselves intolerable to God. So of course none of our household budgets can solve world poverty Yet we should be deeply moved as a reflection of God's heart to want to help those trapped in circumstances outside of their control in grinding poverty. And there is an equally intolerable hoarding of wealth far beyond our needs uh, or wise planning for the future that is unacceptable to God. 
And immediately preceding today's second reading from Luke, uh, Jesus, in responding to a question over the division of an inheritance, says, with considerable force, verse 15, just before our reading today, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. And Jesus then tells the parable of a rich fool who is blessed with abundance and thinks, I'll build, just build bigger barns to store it all. Verse 19, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years, take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. There's lots that we could say about that passage, but it does make the point there is an upper limit to what is wise to store away for tomorrow. And more importantly, God takes issue with a heart that drives such actions. And it's in this context that Jesus turns to his disciples and teaches them much more gently to trust in God's provision uh, of food for them. Consider the ravens, because, because we're of more worth than the birds. Making the further point that we can't add even a single hour to our life, because it's in God's hands. So if you can't change such a little thing, don't worry about the bigger things out of your control. Of course, many of our hearts immediately object at this point and say, the decisions I do make matter. Where I send my kids to school and how much that costs our household budget matters. If I have health insurance, matters. Whether I choose to study to further my career matters. How I invest matters. What we do with our wealth does change our circumstances. Yet, of course, Jesus is not unaware of the ways of the world. But the fact I think our hearts go there illustrates something about the power of wealth. With wealth comes the power of choice. For many of Jesus' first listeners, and for the vast majority of the world's poor across time, they simply do not have such decisions to make. For many, the idea of going shopping for healthy food and having something left over at the end just isn't a thing. The way the wealthy operate and how that intersects with power, politics and privilege traps many today exactly where they are without opportunity and without the power of choice. For them, the prayer for daily bread is a real and everyday concern. For most of us, we're generally so far beyond need into our wants that we can be blind to the extraordinary blessings that we have. Jesus calls for his followers to consider the lilies of the field and again, trust in God's provision because of God's eternal concern for us. With real insight into whether or not we've been transformed by God's love for us, coming from what our heart longs for, from verse 29, 
where we read, do not set your heart on what you will eat and drink, do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and all these things will be given to you as well. A few weeks back ago, I know Mark uh, Peter challenged us on CMS Sunday a few weeks back here uh, with the thought, are our concerns and our prayer life resting mostly with us and the here and now or are our prayers and desires increasingly dominated by kingdom concerns? God cares deeply for each one of us and our daily needs and concerns, so of course we can bring them to our loving God. But what Jesus says here is seek first in our hearts, prayers, actions and life, playing our part in advancing the kingdom of God. I think it's a great mark of our life together as a new church that we've been seeking to play our part in seeing God's kingdom on earth grow as we plant new churches. And this week, as we've heard on the update, finally sending the Purdies off uh, to teach at the SEP in South America to equip a whole new generation of future leaders for Chile and South America. And I think such is a right response to knowing that God the Father, verse 32, has been pleased to give us the kingdom, a place in God's family for all eternity, which changes everything. For those who have been given the kingdom, whatever happens in this life, no matter how bad, is as bad as it'll ever get. And after this life, it'll be immeasurably better for those who don't know Jesus, nor of God's wrath against sin and the way that we treat both Him and this world and others that He loves, and across the pages of Scripture, you'd have to say God has a special heart for the world's poor. If you haven't trusted in Jesus, if that's you today, to save you from God's wrath against such things, however good in life that it gets today, which for many of us isn't that great, and for the wealthy who have it easier, it's fleeting at best, and post this life, without Jesus, we end up facing God's wrath against sin. And from that point, it'll only get immeasurably worse. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way, that's the difference Jesus can make. If we give our lives to him, he provides for us a place in God's kingdom. And as a result, we have and will be given every good thing, both here and in eternity. But without him, we'll lose what little we have and inherit only a truly miserable eternity. So it's with that kind of reality check in mind that Jesus can say with great warmth, verse 32, do not be afraid little flock for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. 
where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, for there your heart will be also. Given for nearly all of us, we're so well into the territory of wants, not needs, cultivating a heart of generosity that shares some of our excess, both to relieve the outrageous suffering of the poor and to build the kingdom, is the wisest investment strategy that one can have. Our use of wealth and our spiritual good are always intertwined. And given only a heart change can help us cultivate a willing generosity, we need a powerful antidote to worry. I don't know if you realise how much of our world operates on making us worry. We've had a constant diet of it, particularly over recent months that we should be worried about so many things. The only antidote to worrying that is powerful and effective, a precious remedy from God, is actually thanksgiving. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The great remedy to anxiety is prayer and petition to God with thanksgiving. And for us, we have so much to be thankful for. First and foremost, for all of us who have placed our trust in Jesus, we have the kingdom the firmest foundation for our rejoicing that can never be taken away from us. Yet, as people who aren't, by and large, worried about our daily bread, there's also so much we can give thanks for materially as well. I was going to say we have a a warm and safe place to meet, but of course only one of those two uh, things is true, and Cam's at least showed me pictures on uh, the website of some heaters that he's ordered that we're just getting through all the ock health and safety people. I'm sure we'll have it sorted by next winter. (laughs) But we do have a safe place to meet together as God's people where we can worship Him freely. We have homes to return to. We have the power of choice about where we want and what we want to do for our work. We have the power of choice about our own education. And for those of us with kids, we have lots of great options for them too. Yes, the shelves in the supermarket aren't always full at the moment. And KFC's putting cabbage in their Zinger burgers instead of lettuce because it's too expensive, which for me just sounds gross. (laughs) But doesn't it highlight what we've taken for granted for most of our lives? That we can go to the shops and choose between 67 breakfast cereals and buy fresh produce out of season, toilet paper in bulk. Didn't it freak us out when we couldn't do that for a while? (laughs) I could go on, but for many across time and across our world, they could only dream of such comfort and ease. 
And the thought that we can buy enough food and end up throwing 30% of it out and still have money left over for other things and still have the power of choice in so many other areas of life, it's actually amazing. And regularly taking a moment to express thanks for what we have to our God is not only the right response, it's actually really good for our heart. So I put it to all of you today, when you get home, before you pull out the keys and walk in the front door, just stop for a moment and give thanks to God. If your trust is in Jesus, the God of all the universe is pleased to give you a place in his kingdom forever. Death does not win. Whatever the challenges you face today, and I know for some of our households they are considerable, they will fade away and be no more. And I get to walk into a warm home with food in it, with good access to medical care, a supermarket stocked with so much close by. Yes, we do each have our set of cares and concerns, and for some of them, uh, some of those concerns might be financial. Yet we have a loving provider God that we can present our prayers and petitions to who promises us that he will guard our hearts and give us peace when we come to him in thanksgiving. In a world that works 24-7 to make us discontent and worried so that we buy things, sign up to particular schools to purchase every kind of insurance we can, a world that trains us to look at our homes with discontent so that we buy, buy, buy. Cultivating a heart of thanksgiving is a powerful antidote. It's a precious remedy. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, which we read before, is a great one to take out a texter, write it on a bit of paper and stick it on the fridge. And I can say, I think it's only from a thankful heart that we can generate a cheerful and willing heart that loves to be generous. 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 are great passages that speak to a heart of generosity that God seeks to develop in all of us. It's worthwhile reading this week it's in, in its entirety, but for now I'll just read to you a few verses from 2 Corinthians 8 verses 7 and 9. They're up on screen. But since you excel in everything, the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Which Jesus, in all of his eternal majesty, came to earth to teach, to walk among us, to face down his enemies, and to humble himself to become truly poor, taking all our sins upon his shoulders and bearing them to the cross, 
so that he could offer all people everywhere a place in his kingdom forever so that we might know those true riches. That is true richness. So if you're checking out Jesus today, please do let us know. It's our greatest joy to share Jesus, his life, his work on the cross, so that he can offer you riches that will never spoil and never fade. And for those of us who do know the grace of our Lord Jesus, generosity, a heart attitude that he longs for us to cultivate together, I want to then come back to the question we posed at the start, what kind of community do we want to be? What kind of person are we following in this image we're trying to recreate ourselves in? Well, of course, it's in the Lord Jesus Christ in community together. We want to be a church family that is growing in its generosity, that excels in the grace of giving, as 2 Corinthians puts it. Will one sermon on wealth do that? No. Will giving increasing amounts of your money away make you feel like you're living your best life just for you? Well, no. (laughs) But is it a great thing to do the hard yards year in, year out to develop amongst ourselves a heart of thanksgiving? So that as a church, a local community of God's people, we look to the needs of others, both spiritually in kingdom-building activities, but also physically, which we're trying to profile with Marian life today. And let me just take a, a brief aside. I've uh, known Leighton, who oversees that, for over 25 years. Uh, it's run through the Marian Church of Christ down there. Uh, if we're looking to be generous uh, to our community around us, it's really not about us. It's really not about whether we as Trinity Church Tonsley can set up something. Uh, really, for us, it's about growing our heart of generosity to serve the poor and joining with brothers and sisters in Christ who already locally for over 25 years have been doing a wonderful job. So what a great thing. We want to build into our culture regularly, uh, supporting them in their ministry financially, uh, with our time if we're able to give it, to get a few things extra at the shops and to be able to bring them along here to support some brothers and sisters in Christ doing a great ministry there. I really commend uh, Marian Life to you. They do some great work. That's just one way that we can grow into a big-hearted, other person-centred, generous and cheerful sharers of our wealth. That's a great heart to cultivate together as a church family. If ever a one-off topical sermon felt inadequate for a task, today is the day, given the huge power our wants and desires have over us. I've put at the bottom of your sermon outline a link to something called the Generosity Project. I think I... uh, Yep, thanks, Anita. One step ahead. It's a series of uh, Bible studies that I think would be great for all our growth groups to do at some point this year. Uh, We did the first one this week in my growth group at Kernelite Gardens and it sparked some really good reflection and discussion. I like it because it... It pitches generosity as a long-term heart attitude that needs cultivating within a community together. 
wealth and the power of choice are good things in and of themselves uh, to be received with thanksgiving, with hearts that see our excess and are moved for compassion for others who are less fortunate. Wealth is also seductive and can draw us away from God. So giving generously is a great tactic, actually, to guard our hearts. Corporately, we do want to be the people who care enough for our world's spiritual well-being, which is others' ultimate good, that we do give to plant churches, to train gospel workers at Bible colleges, to send off people like the birdies to strengthen uh, Purdy's to strengthen God's church elsewhere in the world. I think as a, a church family that's, that's come out of Colonel Light Gardens with already so many uh, new people who have joined us, I think we've come a long way together, but I think we want to keep walking down this long walk together as a community. And with much work ahead of us, I want to leave you today with an image that really moved me in recent weeks as I was pondering uh, this idea of wealth and generosity. Uh, I was in uh, someone's home for a, uh, a birthday party and I was looking at the side of their fridge. And it's a family I've known uh, long term who've been uh, committed to church planting, sharing the gospel with friends and neighbours, generous in both their time and finances towards God's church. And I actually know them well enough to know that they could have lived in a bigger home with more worldly possessions. Not too many people I know who have three kids live in a, a two-bedroom home. Yet on the side of their fridge were their sponsor kids through Compassion, an organisation that seeks to relieve poverty and help families break the cycle and share who Jesus is at the same time. And again, corporately as a church, we're really excited this year that we've exceeded a long-held goal of uh, sponsoring 100 uh, kids through Compassion. I think between Kirtlelight Gardens and Tonsley, we're up to 106 now. Super encouraging. They had their uh, Compassion kids on the fridge. But in the middle of the fridge with all the photos and different things going on in life was a, a handwritten note that said, live more simply so that others can simply live. Now, it's a nice turn of phrase, to be sure, but what made it powerful that really affected me was I knew them well enough to be able to see the many ways, the many decisions, small and large, on how they use their wealth and sought to live that phrase out. I want to be more like them. I want us together to be more like that. And amidst our world of endless desires, wants, investment options and excess, it's massively encouraging to my heart to see people filled with thankfulness, actively working on cultivating big and generous hearts towards others over the long haul. That's actually the community I want to be a part of, as people who follow our Lord Jesus who willingly became poor so that others may be rich. Fire in your SMS questions if you have them. The number's in the leaflet, but I'm going to close uh, now in prayer. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace and kindness and generosity to us, uh, sending your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, into the world to teach and to live and ultimately head to the cross to bear sin's penalty on his shoulders so that all who turn to him across time uh, don't have to bear it on theirs. Please help grow us into a big-hearted, generous community that cares both for people's spiritual welfare and people's uh, uh, practical uh, welfare uh, and shares of some of our excess uh, to relieve the suffering uh, of the world's poor. We pray for our ongoing connection. We pray that might be uh, formed between us and Marian life. Uh, we thank you for all those who work alongside us uh, in compassion and, of course, the many other ways uh, people here would be um, seeking to show your concern uh, for the world's poor. Please shape us into the community you want us to be. Please help us to be more like Christ and deny self and be committed to your great plans of salvation with your heart for the world. And it's in Jesus' precious and very powerful name we pray. Amen.